Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, I'm Claire Murphy. This is The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. On Friday, Australia joined 44 other countries who abstained from voting in a UN resolution for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. We agree with the central proposition that the humanitarian situation in Gaza is dire and human suffering is widespread and unacceptable. Australia again calls on humanitarian pauses on hostilities so that food, water, medicine and other essential assistance can reach people in desperate need and so that civilians can get to safety. However, we abstained with disappointment because we believe this resolution as drafted was incomplete. Why would our representatives not support a stop to the fighting to allow those who are dying in the Gaza Strip to receive medical aid? Why would they not want those innocent victims caught up in this war to be allowed to get access to food and water? Today we look at why Australia chose to step away when 120 other countries voted in favour of a truce and why they believe the resolution was incomplete. But first, in news headlines for Tuesday, October 31. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has condemned a video released by Hamas showing three hostages as cruel psychological propaganda. The video shows three women sitting side by side against a bare wall. One of the hostages, identified as Danielle Aloni, addresses the camera, accusing Netanyahu of failing to protect Israeli citizens during the deadly Hamas attack and for failing to get them back home, calling for an agreement to secure their release in exchange for Palestinian prisoners, saying, you committed to free us all, but instead we're carrying your political, security, military and diplomatic failure. Netanyahu released a statement saying he has pledged to make every effort to bring hostages home, saying, abducted by Hamas, which is committing war crimes, I embrace you, our hearts are with you and with other captives. We're doing everything to bring home all the captives and the missing. Six former Australian Prime Ministers have called for an end to religious hate amid rising tensions over Israel's response to the deadly October 7 Hamas attack. John Howard, Kevin Rudd, Julia Gillard, Tony Abbott, Malcolm Turnbull and Scott Morrison issued a joint statement yesterday calling for Australians to remain united in the face of the conflict in the Gaza Strip. But the Australian-Palestinian Advocacy Network have accused the Prime Ministers of allowing themselves to be used as a tool to minimise Israel's violations of international national law for the past 75 years. The joint letter says the Prime Minister's stand with Jewish Australians and the Australian-Palestinian community for the suffering being experienced, calling for humanitarian access to Gaza and reaffirming their support for a two-state solution. 
Former Q&A host Stan Grant has broken his silence over the result of the Voice to Parliament referendum, saying it was a cold-hearted no from Australians. Grant, an acclaimed journalist who was forced to quit his role on the ABC show earlier this year due to constant racist harassment online, says the nation failed to shoulder the load of Indigenous Australians and that the no vote was a judgement on him and all others like him, along with generations of Indigenous people. Grant made the comments while addressing the Australian National University's Crawford Leadership Forum, saying the voice was never about resentment, it was never about identity, but it was a release, a moment to lay burdens down. But he says Australia wouldn't shoulder the load, instead saying we got a lecture about unity. The former Spanish soccer president who kissed a winning player after the Women's World Cup has been banned from all football-related activities for three years. Luis Rubiales was handed the FIFA ban after the alleged non-consensual kiss he planted on Spanish player Jenny Hermoso after they beat England in the final in Sydney earlier this year. The moment highlighting sexism not just in Spanish football but in Spanish culture, sending many women to the streets in protest. Rubiales resigned from his position in September despite saying he would not be pressured to do so. Australia's love for Halloween continues to grow with more than 5.3 million Aussies expected to celebrate the holiday today. Across the country, sales of Halloween-themed merchandise are up 25% from 2022, a consistent trend over the past five years. Overall, spending on Halloween, including food and costumes, has increased 14% since last year, with retail spending data forecasting $490 million will be spent on the spooky occasion. Supermarkets alone are expected to sell almost 1 million kilos of pumpkins, along with trick-or-treating lollies and home decorations. And despite the cost-of-living crisis, Australians are expected to spend an average $7 more this year on Halloween than last year. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. The UN General Assembly late last week overwhelmingly called for an immediate, sustainable and durable humanitarian truce in the fighting between Palestinian terror organisation Hamas and Israeli soldiers. The motion came after the UN Security Council had tried and failed four times to agree on a resolution in this conflict. But although 120 nations supported the motion, 14 including Israel and the US voting no, Australia chose to be one of 45 countries to abstain from voting at all. The ceasefire would allow much-needed humanitarian aid and support to enter the Gaza Strip, where more than 8,000 people, 3,324 of them children, have been killed in retaliatory airstrikes by Israel after Hamas launched an attack across the border on October 7, killing 1,400 people and taking hundreds hostage. The non-governmental organisation Save the Children 
has said that more children have now been killed in Gaza over the last three weeks than the total killed in conflict around the globe since 2019. Despite this shocking number, many Western countries have claimed that Israel still has the right to self-defence. People are worried about escalation, but Israel has a right to defend itself and, and it will be doing so. This is an attack on Israel by Hamas uh, that has uh, no precedent for uh, what is occurring here. That's Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese speaking to the ABC. With Hamas embedded in the Palestinian population, some say civilian deaths are regrettable, but in order to defeat the enemy, civilian casualties are expected. Israel's UN ambassador Gilad Erdan saying... Israel will not stop the operation until Hamas terror capabilities are destroyed and our hostages are returned. And the only way to destroy Hamas is to root them out of their tunnels and subterranean city of terror. But others say this level of devastating loss in Palestine is a war crime. The families of the hostages being held by Hamas are desperate to know the fate of their loved ones. Only four of the suspected more than 200 captives have been released since they were taken on October 7. The mother of 23-year-old Hirsch Goldberg Poland, who was taken by Hamas from a music festival that day, video footage showing his lost part of an arm in a grenade attack, said this at the UN. When you only get outraged when one side's babies are killed, then your moral compass is broken and your humanity is broken. She went on to say that she knows the hatred for Israel isn't unique, but that as a global community, we've chosen the easy side too often. Do I aspire to be human or am I swept up in the enticing and delicious world of hatred? This is not a phenomenon unique to Israel or Gaza. This is everywhere on our planet. I understand that hatred of the other, whoever we decide that other is, is seductive, sensuous, and most importantly, it's easy. Hatred is easy. So why would Australia decide not to vote yes to stopping the fighting between the two sides for aid to be let in and for those who are suffering to try and recover? Dr Jessica Ganawa is a senior lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in South Australia. Jessica, what reasons did our representative to the UN say we have for abstaining from the vote at the General Assembly? Why did they say the resolution was incomplete? So, officially... Australia claimed that they were abstaining because the resolution was considered to be incomplete in that it did not directly name Hamas and their actions within that resolution. Now, Australia politically is kind of in an interesting place in the way that they're responding to the current conflict between Israel and Hamas because Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is needing to navigate between domestic constituencies and considerations and concerns and then also his place on the international stage and important Australian allies such as the United States. So basically what that means is because US is our closest ally and because the US is backing Israel, we kind of have to fall into line almost? 
I guess this is one of the factors that Australia is needing to navigate here. So, of course, the United States is a very important ally for Australia and they've come out very strongly and directly in support of Israel following the attack by Hamas on October the 7th. So that's one consideration for Anthony Albanese. On the other hand, the Labor Party within the Australian political context has a kind of more complicated relationship with the way that they view the broader conflict between Israelis and Palestinians. And I can see that Anthony Albanese and his government may be hesitant to come out as strongly and directly as the United States has in, you know, definitive support for Israel. And therefore, we get this abstaining in the United Nations vote. We had countries who voted no, we had countries who voted yes, and then we had a number of countries who abstained. So this is kind of highlighting the way in which Australia is trying to navigate this position of, on the one hand, not putting ourselves as clearly and directly behind Israel as the United States is doing, but on the other hand, definitely not wanting to come out as being too far divergent from that position. Now, when we're talking about this resolution being incomplete, part of that was that a hostage release agreement was not included in the resolution. And of course, we know that there are potentially some 200 Israelis being held captive by Hamas at this point in time. Why was that left out of this resolution? And Canada tried to get it included. Why do you think it was voted down? So within the United Nations General Assembly, we're talking about all recognised states globally participate in that and participate in the wording of those resolutions that they then will vote upon. And of course, if we zoom out and look more broadly at the whole international arena, there are a variety of different perspectives and sort of alliances when it comes to the way in which states engage with the conflict between Israel and Hamas. So the way that I view that resolution is that it was trying to achieve a kind of I don't want to say lowest common denominator, but was trying to achieve a kind of single issue focus on humanitarian relief and humanitarian aid in order to increase the chances that that resolution could pass. The more factors that would be included in the resolution, the more likely it would be that there would be more states, you know, internationally who would start to take issue with certain parts of the resolution and that then ultimately it wouldn't pass. Now, of course, even that resolution passing doesn't mean that that is legally binding in any way, but I guess that countries who voted for it within the United Nations General Assembly feel that it is sending a message or making a statement regarding how they view the current humanitarian situation in Gaza and the need for that to be addressed. So you say it's non-binding. Israel themselves obviously voted no against this. If they vote no and this is non-binding, the chances of a ceasefire look pretty slim. I mean, because in the United Nations General Assembly, as long as a resolution has two-thirds support, it officially passes. So officially the resolution passed. However, as you noted, the fact that some very key actors voted no on that resolution, for example, the United States and Israel, suggests that whilst this might be making 
a kind of a symbolic statement or a statement of principle or a statement of intention around what a majority of members in the United Nations General Assembly might like to see happening on the ground in terms of that humanitarian relief in Gaza and also a ceasefire, which was also mentioned, that, of course, unless the key actors in the conflict are involved in something like diplomatic negotiations to try to reach a ceasefire, which, you know, we're not anywhere near that place at the moment, but if those actors are not involved, then, of course, that is not something that's going to be able to realistically occur. Jessica, why is this conflict, in comparison to others, why does it feel so much more like a political minefield? in comparison to, say, something like the Russian invasion of Ukraine, where here in Australia our political leaders took a very clear side and it seems that is very clearly supported by the majority of the population, whereas in this particular instance it doesn't feel like any side is a side. Why is this one so much more of a political minefield? So there are a few different dimensions. I mean, firstly, there are the layers of history that have built, you know, year upon year and decade upon decade. And we have to go back at least to the 1940s, but really we need to go back even further than that in order to try to find some kind of roots of the current conflict. And as events have taken place, wars have taken place, you know, between Israel and other surrounding countries, there's been an Israeli occupation of Gaza, but also of the West Bank. Israel withdrew from Gaza in 2005, and since 2006, it's been under the control of Hamas. But as these incidents sort of build upon each other, I think that observers of that conflict will also build narratives in their mind around who is kind of more on the right here, who's more on the wrong. And every time these type of events take place, I think it adds evidence for people who are looking on who might be supportive, you know, of one side or the other, it kind of adds evidence to their arguments and the stories that kind of get built up around the way in which this conflict has evolved. And that then creates also a very emotional situation and also quite an intractable situation in that those stories tend to turn into what we could call locked narratives where it's very, very hard for supporters of either side to see the situation any differently than the particular narrative that has been built up over sort of many years and many decades and being reinforced. Then also, relatedly, I think that because there isn't sort of one very decisive moment, I mean, for some people, certainly in Israel, October the 7th was a very decisive moment with that attack from Hamas. But I think that the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians, because it's been going on for so long and there have been so many prior incidents as well, it's hard to kind of pinpoint one moment and say, this is the moment where we can identify what's happening in the situation, what the considerations are, and exactly how we should approach it in terms of what might be kind of a diplomatic solution or politically a way forward out of the conflict. As with all the guests who appear on The Quickie who are speaking about this conflict between Hamas and Israel, we try to get an understanding from them as to how they see this playing out. Dr Ganawa, like those we've spoken to previously, doesn't have a very positive view on where it goes from here. Very unfortunately, I don't have any kind of positive response to that question at this stage. Like, I can't 
personally see a way forward that does not include an escalation of violence before we might see some kind of de-escalation. And it is true that, you know, Israel has stated that part of their objectives of going into the Gaza Strip as they start to send in some ground troops is to politically eliminate Hamas. However, you know, even if they were to be successful in eradicating basically Hamas militants who are currently situated in the Gaza Strip, which in itself will be very challenging and a very costly operation, the core of the Hamas leadership and the Hamas backers in terms of funding and also the drivers behind the ideology, you know, are not exclusively in Gaza. So we have core leadership who are situated outside Gaza. We have the key funders who are states that are situated outside Gaza. So it's very hard to see how that would put an end politically to the phenomenon of Hamas. And then also what would happen to the Gaza Strip at the conclusion of any kind of Israeli, you know, more extensive ground operation, who politically would then be in charge of the Gaza Strip? So if it's not Hamas, you know, as noted, Israel disengaged from their occupying role in the Gaza Strip in 2005. I think it would be a disaster for Israel politically to re-engage in a similar way to prior to 2005. But then the question remains, who politically would be the leaders in the Gaza Strip? That's very much an open question. In addition, the whole region is quite fragile right now and there's a lot of tension and pressures building. So there is unfortunately possibility for quite a sort of severe escalation of the violence that currently we're seeing sort of more or less contained within Israel and the Gaza Strip. But if there was any kind of escalation beyond further into the region, that would also be quite a disastrous consequence. The Quickie is produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon.